Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Dave and Stanley did a great job last week. I watched it from um, a caravan in Christchurch down in Bournemouth. Um, where my wee crew are still there watching this morning, so bless you wherever you are. Miss you lurking so quiet without you all. Um, but uh, it was it was lovely just to watch Dave and Stanley um, unfold the scriptures last week and looking at the story of Abraham. And yes, it was my idea that uh, Abraham Stanley was a true descendant of Abraham, even bore his name. So um, this week we're going to look at another one. We're going to look at Priscilla. And Priscilla maybe is a little bit maybe more unknown in the scriptures. You know, she's a, the Bible's full of stories of ladies as well as men, all right? And we live in a, we know that sometimes we live in a very male-dominated world, sometimes especially in church. And um, so it's lovely to unpack some of these true heroes of faith, um, female heroes of faith in the scripture, and we're going to do that. Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, um, they're funny names, were friends of Paul, they were mentors to Apollos, as we'll see in a moment, and they demonstrate the daring yet beautiful um, power of a relationship of a husband and wife together working for the kingdom, and today we're going to probably explore their team ministry a little bit through Acts 18, and then I'm going to introduce Ruth to you, um, who is a wife to Rick, all right, and um, Maybe we'll talk a little bit about their team as well, and Ruth can unfold a little bit more about key scriptures. Um, reading from the NIV, or actually 18 probably is the passage that expounds them the most. Um, and uh, so let, let me just read this. After this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Um, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And then you drop on down the passage, you find them not in Corinth anymore, but you find them at the tail end of Acts 18. They've actually shipped across the Aegean Sea with Paul in ministry to Ephesus, and it's here they run across a guy called Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. adequately. And now we'll unpack that um, story around Apollos in a moment or two. So, uh, but those are the sort of the main scriptures. There's six or seven passages that mention their name. We'll look at some of the other ones in a moment, but um, they're an interesting couple. Now, history um, gives us some very interesting duos. All right, we've got Woody and Buzz Lightyear, We've got Romeo and Juliet. For those who are a little bit older, they'll remember Starsky and Hutch, the original pair. Um, and for those who are older still, will remember Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, and of course, the timeless Tom and Jerry 
and Batman and Robin. You know, we, somebody reminded me this morning of Frozen. Who is it? Elsa and Anna. Is that right? That, yeah. Okay. And you could have um, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. You know, so there's loads of these duos that, um, that, that are sort of powerful pairs that united their individual gifts together and um, accomplished some pretty incredible things. Like Tom and Jerry, you're not going to get much better TV than that. Um, uh, but mo- the movies gives us a face to some of the interesting married couples in the Bible, like Abram and Sarah, who give birth to a, a little boy, Isaac, when Sarah was 90, and um, I, or Abram was 100. So it's pretty, uh, pretty powerful. All right, Daniel was born um, when I was 50, so I always say I'm only half the man of Abram. So there you go. So and then we've got Moses and Sapporah and the Prince of Egypt there in the middle, and um, Ruth and Boaz, which is the most beautiful love story, which we will unpack in this series, um, looking at the story of Ruth. Um, but no marriage, I don't think, in the Bible um, was quite like that of Priscilla and Aquila. They were, um, and, and while no marriage was was quite like theirs. I sort of think that no ministry was quite like theirs either. They had a pretty unique ministry. Crazy as it sounds, that Scripture suggests that without Priscilla and Aquila, the church might not have turned out the way it did. There were key instrumental people in the early church, and they did it from a kitchen table. They did it from a living room, which is the most powerful thing about their ministry. Priscilla and Aquila, the fascinating study of men and women working together for good in the church. And I often think that um, uh, Priscilla, when I read about her, I think that, now this is just my take on her, I think that she was probably a warm-hearted, kind lady who didn't take herself too serious. But that's just my take on her. And their impact on Christian leaders, their bravery and demonstrated within the early church became legendary and Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in four different books, four different New Testament books. They're mentioned in Acts, they're mentioned in Corinthians, they're mentioned first and second Corinthians, they're mentioned in the book of Timothy, and they're, sorry, they're mentioned in the book of Romans as well. So um, what's even more interesting is of the seven times their names are mentioned, five of those seven, the rules turns. So two of the seven, it's Aquila and Priscilla, and then the other five times, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Now, you can take what you want from that, but the very least it means, the very least it means is that they were dual in their ministry. They worked alongside it. That's the very least it means. At most, it might mean that she took the more prominent um, um, role, spiritual role in the home, but at the very least, it means they worked together in ministry. They had a dual role, all right, in ministry, which I, I love. And um, it's sort of, that, that in the Bible is quite unconventional, all right? It's, uh, I, I think the Bible's making a statement. I think it's not a coincidence that that happens. And Priscilla and her husband first appear in Acts 18, the passage that we read, and they have come to, to Corinth, they've come um, to, to, because there's a, been a, a bit of a racist purge of this Emperor Claudius, and so this sort of pushing the Jews out of Rome didn't actually dispel their ministry or dispel their love for Jesus. They came to Greece and they set up a tent-making shop. And it was there that they first encountered the Apostle Paul. And he arrived and 
And because he had the same trade, he was a tent maker, he sought them out. Actually, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, that when they arrived in Corinth, he came with weakness, fear, and trembling. So you can imagine he arrives at Priscilla and Aquila's home in this sort of state. He arrives in weakness, fear, and trembling. This is a man in ministry, but he's a man whose life has been threatened many, many times. And Priscilla and Aquila welcome him into their workplace and into their home, and they create a meaningful employment for him um, and that facilitated missionary activity. So it's a pretty incredible thing. And after some time, I said earlier in Corinth, Paul determined to turn, return to, to Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila with her heart set in ministry, cross the agency, and they end up in Ephesus. And that's why at the tail end of Acts 18, we read them uh, of them in Ephesus, all right? And um, it's there that they run across this boy called Apollos, and he's an Egyptian. He is an Egyptian evangelist, and he's very, very passionate. He's a great communicator. He's a, we read from this that he was a learned man. We read that he spoke with great fervor and with um, he spoke about Jesus accurately. But it's clear from the Scripture that he has never really experienced the, the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hasn't been opened up. It tells us this, that he um, knew only of John's baptism. So he's born again. He's water baptized. He's preaching with fire and brimstone the, the word of the Lord. And um, Priscilla and Aquila detect that there's something missing. And so they take him, this young evangelist, into their home, and they, they show him that there's something a little bit incomplete in what he's saying and he teaches, it says, though he knew only the baptism of John, so he didn't know the, the things, the new things of the Spirit, and they enlightened him as such. And so, recognizing this opportunity, they invest in this young leader, uh, inviting him into their home, around their kitchen table, into their living room, doing life with him, um, making him welcome, making him feel like he belongs. And so, Acts narrative on Priscilla and Aquila actually here at this point goes a little dark after this, but it's no doubt that we can detect from the other references to them that their ministry didn't go dark, while their references to them did, their ministry certainly didn't. And the catalogue to the greetings of uh, to, to Rome in chapter 16 of the book of Romans, Paul says, give my greetings. So they've went from, in the, in the few passages we've read of them, they've went from Corinth to Ephesus. Now they're back in Rome. They're back into the place that they had to escape. So they're back into this sort of place. So they're fearless in their ministry. And says, Paul sends greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers, he calls them. And then he notes this, that Priscilla and Aquila have risked their lives for me. Now, we're not that sure what that was. It doesn't tell us what they've done. Maybe they smuggled him out of some difficult situation. Maybe they raised money for him. Maybe they publicly defended him. It doesn't really tell us what, but the details are unclear. But the importance of what they've done isn't because Paul mentions this over and over again. And again, it's a Priscilla and Aquila make two more appearances in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, where they're with Paul. And again, in 2 Timothy 4, 19, where the author's last testament is not complete without a last sort of loving correspondence to the couple who have evidently, evidently now returned from Rome back to Ephesus to help um, young Timothy. Pretty incredible couple, aren't they? 
And um, you start to sew these little things together in the New Testament. And just as Priscilla is called, so are we called. All of us are called. And the story of Priscilla and Aquila holds a ton of important truths. And on the surface, it demonstrates the value of a couple of men and women working together and partnering over the long term for the cause of Christ, which I love. And there's so much that we can learn from the study of this prayer. But I've picked out just three things to highlight just before we bring Ruth up. Now, the first thing we'd say that it's clear from their wide travels that Priscilla and Aquila recognized that their citizenship was in heaven. They recognized that they were, while they were on earth, we used to sing an old hymn years and years ago. Some of the older ones will remember, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasure's all let out somewhere beyond the blue. Um, I'll not sing it just in case it clear the place. But Paul reminds us of that in Philippians 3, verse 20, that, you know, we're citizens of heaven, we're citizens of Christ. And so they were at home in Rome, they were at home in Corinth, they were at home in Ephesus, and anywhere their mission called them. And one of the early church fathers, I read this, came in this old book recently by the early church fathers, and this was a little statement that I took a photo of, I knew I would use it at some stage, and uh, this is what they said. They said they live in their own countries. People, he said this of of believers, of true Christians, they live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Their foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. I love that. There's so much meaning in that. It's so powerful. And in our increasingly transient society, in an era that has ongoing cultural change, it remains essential to keep our spiritual bearings. Uh, We are members of Christ and citizens of the kingdom of God. Really important to know that, even tonight when you're watching the football. All right? Um, Secondly, secondly, Priscilla and Aquila live their lives, their lives point out the importance of true Christian hospitality. When Paul arrived in their community, they just welcomed a worn-out traveler, all right? They provided shelter, they provided company, they provided income for him, they advanced his missionary ventures in Ephesus, they followed the same template with Apollos, perhaps sharing what they'd learned from Paul to strengthen this young evangelist. And here's a little point, and I'll bring this up with Ruth. Their kitchen table and their living room became sources of encouragement and instruction for those who would teach the church at large. Their living room and their kitchen table became sources of encouragement and instruction for those who would teach the church at last. And it may be good to ask self, it may be good to ask self this question, to what extent do we see our hospitality as a means to advancing the kingdom? Where do we see our kitchen table and our living rooms as places of advancement for the kingdom? And again, um, lastly, um, Priscilla and Nicola's story is one of risk and obedience. They just risked, we're unclear about the details of those courageous acts that Paul mentions. But when the moment arose, Priscilla and Aquila were willing to bear their throat to the blade for the cause of Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila are therefore great models of men and women, men and women who follow these acts of courage. And adversaries and enemies will inevitably appear, but brothers and sisters in Christ cannot, we cannot recoil from the ultimate good. So in conclusion to all of that, Paul says this in Romans 16, 3. Paul says, I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. And I wondered when I read that, you know, 
their lives um, were testimonies of God's faithfulness to the refugee, the worker, the, they were obedient and wise to God, who God brought around them. And around the Mediterranean, their work was recognized as something very powerful. And perhaps all the Gentile churches here, we could add and expand all the churches in Craig Evan and all the churches in Ireland. We could expand and say Cara and Shalom and Emmanuel Portadown are better because of the work of Priscilla and Aquila. Perhaps we owe uh, 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 an earnest debt to the work of this unique couple. And I just wonder, as I conclude, I just wonder when Paul sat down to write Second Corinthians, was he thinking about Priscilla and Aquila? Perhaps he was reflecting on the good old days. Perhaps he was reflecting on the cutting and the the tent-making table where they would have fun about the sewing, the cutting, the praying, and the planning. And he thought about a life to come, and he thought about eternal perspective. He said, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So what? That what is mortal may be swallowed by life. You see, if you're a tent maker, always patching holes, always repairing tours, always setting up, always taking down, you long for something more. And um, you long to see people in crisis being rescued. You long, your heart burns for the next generation of believers. You're, you look to your heavenly home and you know that your life is always in Christ. And you can always see that someday, Someday, what you've stitched and sewn, um, where you've invested, the stakes you've driven in, as fleeting as they may seem now, will last forever. And that is worth whatever it takes. So now it's time to meet the family. So Ruth, um, many of you will know Ruth, but Ruth, come and take a, a, a seat with us and we'll chat a little. There we go. Or... There we go. <laughs> Mm. That's good. Um, <clears throat> Ruth Preston came to church many years ago um, as Ruth Jess, and then um, Rick took her name away and <laughs> married her. He even took her away and then brought her back again, which was lovely. But Ruth, I've known you a long time. We've been first and foremost friends. We've been work colleagues. You worked here as our You've passed. How long have you been? Long have you been connected with Emmanuel? Um, my goodness, probably from seventeen. I was seventeen years old, and I know. I don't well, know, now we're going to give it away. Twenty years. Oh wow! So there you go. It's amazing, isn't it? And uh, Ruth, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. We know you're married to Rick. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what you do. Okay. So I am wife to Rick. Um, mummy to, to Elijah and Sophia and Zachariah. Um, I am daughter to Roberta and David Jess, sister to Clara and Kerry, uh, auntie to lots of nieces and nephews. Um, I work in, as a social worker in a children's home in Newry currently. Um, and 40 years old. I love a good chat, love a good coffee, love a good walk around the park. And... Life is good. Life's busy. Life's good. Yeah. So you said you're a social worker. Um, can you tell us, did your heart for, um, did your heart for people 
lead into that vocation or maybe a heart for the broken? Is that, is that fair to ask? Is that, what do you think led you into that vocation? So I, it's probably all happened a wee bit like um, what we were talking about earlier on about how we don't really know the next step until the light comes on and then you're in it. And I suppose it just happened very gently. It wasn't that I had set out a big plan of I'm going to become a social worker and I'm going to work in this role and I'm going to... Um, it, it happened. I went to university in, in Scotland, came back with a degree that I did not know what to do with. Um, behavioural science and took up a post in a children's home in Lurgan actually as an unqualified social worker back then um, and started working um, when I was about 22 so nearly 20 years I've been in residential but started back then um, and just really fell in love with what it was that God had obviously led me into but I was just very unaware and unassuming at that time um, I just loved um, building a relationship with young people who had not had a good experience of home mm. um, and just then trying to build a home there in where they were living in. And that, um, yeah, so I, I guess my heart um, led me into, yeah, vocation wise, and that I'm able to bring Jesus into my workplace yeah. in a very natural, unassuming way, yes. Whenever, um, whenever Dave and I sat and chatted about um, the people, you know, the character, we come up with the idea first, the characters, we thought, well, why don't we do a character study and then look for someone that we feel in some way personifies or epitomizes that, that character. And we, we felt with Priscilla, because those of, those of you who know, Rick and Ruth know that um, are in the context of the story. We'll have to say it, Ruth and Rick. Um, so uh, um, the, the, those, of, those of us who know you know that you're, you're sort of social people. You love people in your home. And I made a statement earlier that the kitchen table and the living room became sources of encouragement and instruction for those who would teach the church at large. And we aligned you and Rick with Priscilla and Aquila because you love to offer your home. This is what we see to the weary traveler and your wide circle of friends. Tell us a wee bit about what that means to you. Um, first, I do not feel we do anything remarkable at all. I feel like we all do this. We all offer our homes in, in simple ways where it's um, even people come over for coffee, people having dinner parties, or looking after somebody's kids, or um, life groups. I mean, we all open up our homes, and I guess then whenever Rick and I um, got married, we really baptized high value upon the home, and creating a home, and offering a home um, to others around us. Um, and I, I guess that's just, we love the idea of having an open door policy and just having people around. There's so much value having people around our table mm -hmm. um, or in the living room, just like what we talked about this morning, and just having um, honest conversations. And I suppose just the privilege it is and honour to walk alongside um, people that we that God has placed upon our hearts or have come and entered into our lives and. Um, I just, we just really feel that we want to provide a safe place for people to be able to do that, to come and be themselves, to, um, to 
feel that they can come with all their rubbish and that they're loved and mm. we guess we just seek to love people really well um, um, yeah and just being willing to know that asking God like you know who is a God that you want us to, mm. to want to bring into our lives who is yeah. it, you know being willing to to open up um, our hearts and our lives even sometimes where it's not not that easy um, I guess going back now a few years back I suppose I'm just thinking we're um, our family of four family of four kids really through Rick mentoring and that they came into contact with us and um, they're known as social services and they miraculously against the social work system came into our home to live and um, for it was meant to be an emergency basis for two nights but it um, <laughs> resulted with one of the kids being with us for six months um, and I guess it is just at that time it was in the chaos it was our heads were like no we can't do that we can't do that but our hearts were like you know we need to we need to to do this and open up open up our home and to love um, and from that I do feel like Rick and I have always had a real heart for um, for young people that just have maybe never had that experience of uh, a true a true home and that's been ignited from that and that we really want to pursue that and um, yeah so currently still in the process of doing fostering and all that so we do feel like home is very powerful yeah. and in home that is where Jesus can just be seen and shown very so the kitchen yeah. table and the living room yeah. become really important I was going to say to you you probably covered it a little bit there but I was thinking you know Priscilla was an encourager um, of the to young enthusiastic Apollos you know so here was this young Egyptian preacher that she obviously, you know, warmed to him, thought, you know, we can direct him a little bit and encourage him in love, you know. And I've noted over the years your passion to encourage um, young adults, many of whom I'm sure are here and will nod in agreement today, you know. Can, can you, you've maybe hit on it a little bit, but can you tell us what drives that passion? You know, uh, like I, I'm sitting here thinking of other, you know, like Alan and Jerry are here who, you know, sort of carry that same mantle of hospitality, Mervyn and Barbara, you know, who have just massive hearts. And there's so many others in the room. Sorry, I don't mean to leave anybody out, but just what, what, what drives that passion for the next generation? Because it's very dangerous to say this to a lady, but, you know, you're not the younger generation anymore. You're not the older generation, but you're not the younger generation. There's a generation coming up, and there's a... Like I detect a great passion in you for the next generation. Tell us a wee bit about what drives that passion. Um, I guess for me, I've experienced this in that, um, like, I obviously my own family um, really have encouraged me and built me up. And but outside of my own family, uh, a family allowed me the privilege to enter into their family life whenever I was probably my early twenties. Um, and just that they believed in me and helped me to grow and to step into what God um, had for me. And it's funny now that I, I babysat them. It was in the everyday things, you know, like babysat them and called in on a day-by-day -day basis. And I'm playing out. Tiffany's actually coming on 
and church and staff, you know, things yeah. like that. So um, I guess I experienced that firstly and just really, like now I'm able to look back and see the significance of that for me in Beautiful. my life. Um, and now there's just that real, for Rick and I, we just really have that passion where we just really want to see young people release into all that God has for them, you know, that to help them to see themselves the way that God sees them, to believe in them, to champion them, to um, see them be thrown into all that God has, but to do yeah. that and supporting them, giving them time um, to, to love them and even just to push them a wee bit, you know, come on, you yeah. can do this. and Because um, everybody needs that person. Everybody needs that person or a couple or, you know, to believe in them and to know that to see them and to see them and to um yeah i just i suppose and, and finally to to if, you know to give a little bit of your wisdom and a little bit of encouragement i'm thinking i'm looking over there at robbie and tara that are just just got married and i know there's loads of other couples that have just got married in the summer um what would you say to them now that they're just setting up their home and um and maybe on the back of that to all of us, not to just land it on the next generation, but to all of us in the room, what would you say to us about the kitchen table and the living room? Especially as an encouragement to the Robbie and Taras and Ryans and all who just got married. So. Um, I guess that the home is just so powerful yeah. that um, to give it um, the, the, the value that it that it should have and I, I suppose like I don't know like how the enemy has maybe tried to put a stop on that over the generations where we have become quite insular and quite closed off but how like we just want to reclaim that again for the kingdom where the home is a place that is safe and to open up not to be afraid to to open up your it's not rock sense I guess and I suppose it's to be more intentional with the people that you want to invite around your table and to really invest into them and to that does everything does not have to be perfect like you not your home doesn't have to be pristine clean because mine mm. definitely isn't but it's just allowing people to enter into the chaos and the everyday um, and just saying you love jesus in in that and that doesn't have to be um yeah just to be yourself and to be real in that brilliant give her a round of applause will you so good it's so good so encouraging and and so lovely but lovely just to pray for um ruth as we finish off um we're not sing, but just uh, and i won't sing don't worry um but let's let's just pray for ruth thanks ruth can i just say thank you for those 20 years of knowing you just the friendship um watching you with people um and when you worked with us you were such a pastor and you still are, you know, that pastoral juice just oozes from you. It just gets around you and um, you, it, you know that you love people. And um, I just want to encourage you in that and just want to thank you for encouraging me over the years and just being a friend. So uh, let's stand while we stand and let you stay seated and we're going to pray for you. You can relax, all right? And let's just reach our hands out. To Ruth, thank you, Father, today for Ruth and for Rick. Thank you for their home. Thank you for Elijah and Sophia. Thank you for little Zachariah 
God, we continue to pray for him. We continue to pray day and daily for his little heart, Lord, to strengthen and to, to grow and amend, O oh God, and become the man of God that you've destined him to be. Thank you for Rick and Ruth. Thank you that they are citizens of heaven, that um, their home is not precious to them. Their home is, uh, belongs to the kingdom. Their home is open door to everyone. They run that open door policy. And so, God, we just want to thank you for that. We thank you for the example that they are to the next generation of young people coming up. We thank you for the encouragement that they've been to them. And, God, today we just want to say thank you for Priscilla and Aquila. We want to thank you how they influenced the New Testament church. We want to thank you for how, when we read Scripture, they influence our church and our lives. So, God, thank you for that. Thank you for Rick and Ruth, and thank you for their home and for their family. And we commend our service to you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.